We've been talking about reaching the lost. And we live in a world where there's probably, um, you know, there's, there's many, many Christian people, but there's many, many more people who aren't. And there's many people who are on a road to a destiny that I'm sure you don't want them to end up in that destiny. Would you agree? Does that, does that worry you? That's, that people that you know will go to hell? Does that worry you? Because it should. it should. It should concern us. And I know that sounds, I'm not speaking, you know, hellfire and brimstone here, but the truth is there's two destinies. There's heaven and, and there's, the, there's hell. I, can't, I have to name it for what it is. And people will go to one or the other. And so we want to be people that care enough about others, that we want to make sure that they know the hope that Jesus gives to us and that we will spend eternity with him and with each other. And that'll be an amazing thing. So this year, our our vision has been to be the church. When we talk about being the church, what we're really saying is it's not just like ticking a box and saying, all right, I've gone to church this week. I've done my duty as a Christian. I've ticked that box. I'm right. That's not what, it, what God intended when he called us to be the church. It's an action word. Be is a verb. It's an action word and it's a present action. It's now. Be the church. And when we go out from here, be the church all the time. It's actually making a difference to people's lives. The church is not a building. That's not what it means. The church is a movement of people. And so being the church is about people and about us in action wherever we are. And so what Jesus said was to be the church, he he actually gave us a direction, a directive. He said, I want you to go into all the world, go into all the world and make disciples of every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. That's the directive he gave to each one of us as Christians, to go and to make disciples. So being the church, is that's what it's about. It's going and making disciples. So that's why we had our, our um, vision, be, go, make. Because that's what God has called us to do. He also gave us some metaphors, some pictures that help us to understand how we can be the church. And this particular one that I'm just going to look at today, and we're going to look at this much more into next year, is he calls us to be salt and light. Salt and light. If you can bring that shot up, Caleb. So being salt and light, notice the byline there. It says, God's kingdom in our culture. In other words, how do we bring God's kingdom into our culture here? Every day in this world, in the 21st century, in Australia, how do we do that? He said, this is how you do it. Be salt and light. Be salt and light. Make the world better and brighter. That's what he calls us to do. So how does he describe it? Let's look at Matthew 5, 13 to 16. This is what he says. Let me tell you why you are here. Okay, if someone's looking for purpose, if someone's looking for, why am I here? Well, 
God tells you. He said, let me tell you why you are here. These are Jesus' words. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness and will end up in the garbage. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I've put you there on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. Shine. Keep open house. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. We probably don't need to go much further than that. Jesus makes it pretty explicit, doesn't he? What he wants of us. He wants us to be salt that brings out the God flavors on this earth. And light that brings out the God colors in this world because God's made this world. God's made it to be experienced in a certain way. He's made it to be seen in a certain way. He's put things here for us. But because we are often in in darkness by the evil of this world, we miss what God has put here for us. Because we're overcome by by the the things of this world that, that drive us to emptiness, we miss the God flavors of this world that he's given to us. And so he says, you need to be salt shakers and light bearers. You need to make sure that you make people thirsty. You see... I've, I've read quite a bit this week about this um, metaphor of salt. And there's lots of different people who have written about, you know, seasoning and about preservation and all these different qualities of salt. And they're good. But at the end of the day, what does salt do? My doctor says I shouldn't have so much. But um, he says salt makes you thirsty. Salt makes you thirsty. Doesn't it? If you eat a lot of salty stuff, you're immediately thirsty. And that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to be salt in the world so we make people thirsty for him. He said he is the living water. He will bring refreshment. He will bring satisfaction. You know what it's like when you're really thirsty and you have a drink of water. You feel so different. You feel refreshed. You feel satisfied. And that's what God says to us. He said, Be sold out there. Make people thirsty for me. Make people need me as living water. We need to be light. It's a dark world. You know, you only have to turn on the news. My goodness, there's not much light in the news. And and it can be a very fearful world if we live in the darkness of this world. But Jesus said to bring light into the darkness. And the moment there's any glimmer of light, the darkness has to go. So we need to bring light into a place that is just absolutely where the enemy is trying to to destroy um, the good things of this world. There is hope. And we need to bring that hope to the world. 
You know, often in our lives we have defining moments, moments that really we look back on and think, you know, that really changed me. At that time in my life, something happened and it really changed me. Have you had moments like that? You may be able to reflect. It might have even been your moment when you met Christ that that changed your life and it's changed where you're heading. Or maybe there's been something where God's really convicted you in a particular moment that has defined the way that you've gone into the future. Well, I've been listening to um, John Maxwell, who is a a great leadership teacher, but he's also a great teacher of the word. And um, in a moment, I'm going to share a three-minute testimony from him with you about a defining moment in his life. And then I'm just going to go on after that and share some of the things, the ideas that he speaks to us about how can we be salt and light. How can we just practically be salt and light? So this morning, it's not... What we're really, I'm, I'm bringing to you this morning is like teaching. It's just going to be some ways. And what I hope it will do is help you. It will empower you. It will motivate you to go out and be what Christ called us to be. Let's look at John Maxwell's testimony. What happened is that um, he talked about this defining moment in his life that changed him. And he went to visit this man in hospital. And um, it was a friend, but also a, a person connected to their church, not... you know, a weekly attender, but connected. And he had this relationship with this person. So he went to visit him in hospital and he'd been in there a few times. And one day he'd spent about an hour and a half with him and uh, he went home and he was just talking to his wife and um, and, uh, she got a phone call and she said, uh, when she got off the phone, she said, look, you know, you need to go back to the hospital. This, This man's just passed away. John was absolutely shocked because he didn't seem like he was close to death when he'd been there. And his, his two sisters were at the hospital and so John went back to the hospital to um, be with these ladies as they grieved the passing of their brother. And he just stood there and he was, he was absolutely like shocked by the fact that he'd passed, but also as he stood there and he had his arm around these two ladies, he looked at this man who was there who had now passed away from this earth and he realised that he hadn't ever shared the gospel with him, that he'd never taken that extra step to tell this man about the truth and the hope of Jesus. And he said he just started to weep He just felt so convicted by the fact that he had time with him, but he talked about lots of things, sport and the weather and and things. But as he stood there, and these these women thought he was a very compassionate pastor because he's there weeping uncontrollably with them for this man who's, who's, you know, for the loss of their brother. But he said he went home and he just got onto the floor and he cried out to God for forgiveness and as John shares the story, he, he, he breaks because he realises that he had, you know, he had the opportunity and he didn't take it. And he said, God, if you could just give me one more chance, I will be faithful. I will make sure that I will always. If you could just give me one more chance to be faithful with sharing your, your truth, your hope, I will do it. Every day, I will make sure that I do it if you just let me have that chance. 
And so he made this commitment to God that that would be the priority of his life, that every day he would share the truth, the hope of Jesus with people. And he's gone on to do that every day in his life. And uh, he went to his church and he had to confess before them. And he asked for forgiveness. And he, he said, as a church, we need to make sure that this is the priority we can't get so caught up with programs and with things that we forget what is most important to the heart of Jesus, and that's people's souls, their eternity. That's the most important thing. And so as I listened to this testimony, I was moved by it as well. I, or as I was watching it, I wept because I thought of times where, you know, I haven't done it too. I thought of times where God has prompted me to do something and I haven't done it. Maybe even invited someone home for a meal. And God has really challenged me on this. And so I want to share with you this morning some ways that we can do this without getting caught up in the busyness of this world and missing out on what God calls us to be. Over these last weeks, and I know that each of our speakers have said this, but I want to say it again because it's important that we don't forget that most lost people do not have a correct picture of God. They do not know how much he loves them, that he loves them unconditionally. It doesn't matter what they've done, he loves them. And he will forgive them past, present and future sins. He will forgive them. And he has a plan for their lives that is magnificent. And of course, if they knew that, they would want to buy into that. But they don't. They don't see God that way. Who's going to tell them? There's a whole world of people that need to be loved unconditionally. And the problem is that the church tends to correct rather than to connect. We're not here. We've got no role to judge. We have no right and God says, judge not, lest you be judged. So we've got judgments out the window. We don't correct. We connect with people and we love them unconditionally. We don't have to fix people. That's not what God's called us to do. He'll do that. He'll fix people. He'll take care of that. All we have to do is love them. I'm talking here about the lost. I'm talking here about people who are lost. We need to love them. Because... You know, the church is not, you've heard this said, the church is not on the radar screen of the lost. It's not. So if it's not on the radar screen of the lost, how are we going to get people who are never going to come into this church? How are we going to reach them if they're never going to come near a church because they're not thinking about coming to church? The way we'll do it is we go to where they are. That's how we do it. We go to where they are. And the reason that we don't connect a lot of the time is because we're not intentional enough. Graham talked about this last week. We need to be intentional about what we are doing. We need to be determined and intentional. And so I want to talk about the rule of five briefly this morning. So you imagine this. If you're going to cut down a tree, what would you do? Think about it. Well... I say to you that if you got an axe and you went out and struck a tree five times and every day 
you went out and you struck the same place, same tree, five times every day, what would eventually happen? The tree would fall over, wouldn't it, eventually? If you kept doing that every day, same tree, same spot, five times, good acts, someone with good energy like Geordie or Andrew, they could, you could get out and do it, okay? Then if you did that every day, five times a day, eventually the tree would fall over. Is that right? Would you agree? Okay. So here it is. The first thing we need to do, we need to know is what's our goal? So in this case, the tree is our goal, right? The tree, we've got to cut it down. So what's our goal? The second thing we need to do is that we need to, to be practical about it. What are we going to use to cut down the tree? There's no use using a cricket bat to cut down a tree. It's not going to do it. We need a sharp axe. And so we need a sharp axe that we use to cut down the tree. So we've got the goal is the tree. What are we going to use? The axe. What are we going to do with the axe? Well, we have to take action. It's never going to happen if we just have the axe and the tree, is it? We need to pick up the axe and use it on the tree. So we have to take action. And the fourth thing about this story, about this rule of five, is that we have to do it every day, consistently, right? We need to, our goal is the tree, our axe is what we're going to use to do it. We're going to use the axe, take action, and we're going to do it consistently every day so that the tree will come down. And we need to make sure, you know, it wouldn't work if we struck the tree here and then here, or if we just went out and we struck five different trees once every day, we'll end up just with a lot of scarred trees. But instead, what we need to do is the same tree five times every day, day after day, and eventually it will come toppling down. The thing about this is that you don't have to swing the axe all day. You just have to swing the axe every day. You don't have to swing the axe all day. You just have to swing the axe every day. Now, John Maxwell is teaching in the 20th and 21st centuries. John Wesley, who started the Methodist Church, he summed the rule of five up this way. He said, do all the good you can by all the means you can to all the people you can, as long as you ever can. Do all the good you can, by all the means you can, to all the people you can, as long as ever you can. So it's not a new rule, it's not a new thing, it's just put in a different way. So let's see, if you're taking notes, here's the five things that you need to do. And I suggest these, you write these down, because these are really helpful, they're not mine. I've said to you that these come from John Maxwell, but I'm going to share them with you this morning. All right, number one, every day, connect with and care for lost people. Every day, connect with and care for lost people. That means taking some time every day to make a connection with and to care for people who are not Christ followers. Now, you have to be intentional about finding these people. Listen to Matthew 9, 35 to 38. Jesus went to all the towns. Jesus went. They didn't come to him in the synagogues. Jesus went to all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. 
When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray. Let's pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. So the first thing is that Jesus went. Okay, that means we have to go. We've already got be, go, make. All right, so this is what, what he wants us to do. We actually have to take physical action about reaching the lost. If we're going to connect with people and care for them, we have to go to them. We have to actually physically go. The next thing is that Jesus saw, when he saw the crowds. Now, I was, I was asking some of the street safe people, when you're out there and you see people, does it change the way you feel about the lost? Once you see the needs of people, suddenly it stirs your heart. And when Jesus saw, it said he had compassion. So what happens is when we actually see people who are lost, when we see them in their situations of lostness, our hearts are moved and it makes us want to act. It makes us want to respond. But if we stay in our homes and we just have the TV on or we're busy with our self-absorbed lives, we'll never see. We'll never see the needs of these people. So how can we be moved by that? So Jesus went and he saw and he was moved with compassion and so he prayed to the Lord of the harvest to send more workers. He valued people. He saw what no one else saw. Till you go out and see these people, you won't know their needs. He touched people who others wouldn't touch. He loved people no one else would love and he calls us to do the same. See, when someone's being ill in the street because they've had too much alcohol, do you feel like touching them because you think, you know, and might make you feel a bit sick in the stomach, but that's what actually Jesus calls us to do, to reach down and put an arm around them, to let them feel someone cares. It'd be easy to stand back and say, why have you been drinking so much alcohol? That's not going to help you. But that's not what God calls us to do. He says, love them. Reach down. Get down on the, the you know, well, if you can, get down on the, on the ground. I'd be struggling. I'd get down, but I wouldn't get back up. Um, they'd have to help me up. Um, but, you know, get down and put your arm around them. Let them know that you love them right where they are at. And your heart will be moved by that. You won't stay inactive when you're in that situation. What's our response to this calling from Christ to connect and care for people every day? A man fell into a pit but couldn't get himself out. A subjective man said, I feel for you down there. An objective man said, it's logical someone would fall into that pit. The Christian scientist would say, you only think you're in a pit. The Pharisee, only bad people fall into pits. The news reporter wanted an exclusive story on how he got into the pit. And the fundamentalist said, you deserve your pit. The charismatic said, just confess you're not in the pit. A realist said, now that's a pit. 
An IRS agent asked if he was paying taxes on the pit. And an evasive person avoided the subject altogether. A self-pitying person said, you've seen nothing till you've seen my pit. An optimist said things could be worse. And a pessimist said things will get worse. And Jesus, seeing the man, reached down and took him by the hand and lifted him out of the pit. What's our response to the calling of Jesus on our lives? So every day, every day, this is the rule of five, every day we connect with and care for lost people. Number two, pray every day. Pray. Pray for lost people. Write their names down, your family members that are lost. Pray for them every day. Friends, you know, we don't have to go finding lost out in the gutter. You know, honestly, you'll know people in your circle of family and friends who are lost. Are you praying for them every day that they would know the hope of Jesus? And then pray every day that God will give you an opportunity to share your faith. Pray for them. As you get up in the morning, pray for lost people and then pray that God will give you an opportunity to share your faith because he will. And be ready. Be ready. Have your eyes open. Have your ears open. Because God will give you an opportunity. If you've prayed that, he will answer that prayer. He will give you an opportunity and you need to then be ready to share your faith. We need to shake some salt. Make people thirsty. Make them want Jesus. Number three, we need to intentionally drop God thoughts. Now, this doesn't mean preaching or Bible bashing. This just means there's lots of things about God that people don't know. And we can just, God will give us opportunities just to put it into the situation, to let them know that, 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 they, that they really matter, that, that as a person they really matter. That's a God thought in someone's life. Do we tell people that? Do we tell them that there's, you know, when they're talking about the, the fear that this Paris situation and the terrorism situation brings, do we say, look, there's hope, there is hope, there's a way forward with this? Do we, do we you know, intentionally drop those God thoughts? It's interesting, John Maxwell's very clever. He, um, as you know, he, 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 or you may not know, but he, what he does is he teaches leadership around the world and particularly he teaches it to business people. And you might have seen his books. There's 21 ways to do this and 17 ways to do that. And he's got, you know, he has this, this list of things, which are, they're great. It's such great teaching. But what he said was, when he goes, you know, to intentionally drop God thoughts, when he's speaking to a crowd of businessmen, he'll, he'll sort of talk to them and say, leadership, in leadership you add value to people. He said, now I want to tell you about, there are four ways to add value to people. So, um... I'll tell you three. And so he goes through and he talks about these three ways to add value to people. And then someone puts up their hand and says, every time he said this happens, but you said there was four, what's the fourth? And he said, oh, no, 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 you won't want to know about that. You won't want, that's not, that's about me and my, my faith. You know, you won't want to know about the fourth way. You, you just know the three, the three will help you, that'll be great. And they say, no, no, we want to know the fourth. So immediately being salt, making people thirsty, wanting to know what else you're talking about. 
And so then he goes and says, well, look, you know, don't write this down and you don't have to listen if you don't want to, but, you know, this is just about my life and what I believe really helps. And then he goes on to tell them the fourth, and he said, time after time, people come up at the end and want to know about this. One time he told them that and he said, you know, well, all right, I'll just tell you the fourth one and, you know, but um, at the end of this, you know, like... Um, you know, I'm going to be down in the cocktail hour. I'm, I'm just going to be sitting down at the table. He said that, he, you know, if you want to talk about it, then come down. And he said he had a line that went, he was there until midnight, just people wanting to know about this hope, about what faith means, who God is, getting a correct picture of God. So we have to intentionally drop positive God thoughts. Number four. We need to add value to people. Add value to people. Now, I'll give you a good story. I hope, Lisa, you don't mind. But um, I didn't ask your permission, but I'm going to tell it. In, in prayer this morning, I was talking about the message, that, just briefly about the message, and I was talking about this adding value to people. Now, this is something that you, every one of us can do. For instance, the other day, Lisa was just coming out of somewhere and she saw this lady struggling with her aerial. Now, it's very easy for us to see someone struggling with something and just walk on by because we're busy, we've got to get somewhere, the time, always running late and trying to get there. But she thought to herself, like, there's a lady who's struggling. So she went over and she spent 10 minutes with her, taking the time to help her and to be able to, so that this lady, and she was so grateful that Lisa had done that. Now, it's just just a practical thing, but that adds value to people because someone actually cares enough to take a bit of time to help you. You know, someone needs a lift somewhere. Someone needs help in some way. You know, they might need their children cared for. We need to add value to people every day. People you work with, your family, people you don't know. Every day, add value to people. And you know how you add value to people? By valuing them. Actually, valuing them. That's how you add value to people. Because if you don't, what happens is the opposite. You'll devalue them. So unless we add value to people, we're not, they don't really know that we value them. Another way that we can add value to people is by seeing ourselves as valuable. Now, often we put ourselves down, but you know, if we are growing in God and God's building us up and strengthening us, we are valuable because we are his children and he values us. So we need to see ourselves as valuable. Put good stuff into your life because you're valuable. Don't put negative thoughts that tear yourself down and criticize yourself and make you feel like you're, you're hopeless. You're not. You are valuable. So don't devalue yourself. You can never be valuable to someone else if you devalue yourself. You need to see yourself as valuable, put good stuff into your life and then pass it on to others and you'll add value to them. If you want to value people too, you really need to know what they value. So that means listening to people. I mean really listening, not just sort of saying, oh, how are you and looking around what's the next thing, but actually listening to people because if we know what they value, it mightn't be what you value, that's okay. But value what they value and come alongside of them and support them for what what they value. And it means listening to them. If you want to add value to people, be generous 
towards them. Because that's what God does. He's so generous towards us. Be generous towards people. Put their needs before yours. That's the hardest thing I think of all, is actually to put someone else's needs before our own. And if I really want to value people and add value to people, I have to do the things God values. You know, when we do that, people will want to come back and come back. And they'll want to know what it is. That, that is the, you know, the motivation that, that makes us want to do that. That's how we can be salt and light in the world. And number five, strategize. So you have to, you know, you have to think carefully about when God prompts you, you have to think carefully about how you're going to do it. And, and you need to do it strategically. Now, we cannot rely on the church to do what God has called each one of us to do. In other words, the church is each one of us. So we have to take up that responsibility to be salt and light. And it's not enough to have good intentions to sit in here and think, that's great, Pam. I really want to do that. I've written down those five points. We now have to act on them. We have to put them into practice if we want the world to be better and brighter. So if we put that rule of five into practice every day, if we connect with and care for people, if we pray for the lost and we pray for opportunities to share our faith, if we drop God thoughts intentionally and add value to people and we're strategic about what we do, then what's going to happen every day we do this, every day, every day, we're going to see the kingdom of darkness come toppling down. Let's pray. Dear God, our Father, we thank you that you are victorious, that you, the kingdom of light, you are the kingdom of light and you've already won the victory. But the enemy is present on this earth and we can't deny that. But there, there is a way forward. If we fulfill, if every Christian is what you call us to be, to be salt and light, we're going to see the kingdom of darkness come toppling down. It will not be able to stand against people loving people. It will not be able to stand against people praying for others, connecting and caring for people, adding value to their lives, being intentional and strategic and not missing opportunities that you put before us. So, Lord, I pray you will help us. When you're praying for, for workers, to go into the harvest. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. You are praying that there'll be workers who will respond and go. And I pray that as each one of us here in this church, that we would respond. That we would be the answer to your prayer. That we would go. That we would see. We would be moved by people. And we'll respond. And that as a result, Lord, people will get a correct picture of you. They'll know your love. They'll know your forgiveness. They'll know the plans that you have for them. Oh, Lord, help us to be faithful in this. Let us not miss an opportunity. Help us to have our eyes open. I thank you, Lord, that you entrust this to us. And I pray, God, that 
you will help each other, that we will help each other to be accountable in this. And it won't just be another Sunday morning message or five-week series, but God, that we will really be people of action, that we will be the church, that we will go into all the world and make disciples and that there'll be a lot more people living in the light, a lot more people less thirsty because we have been salt and light in this world. I just pray, Lord, that your wisdom, your strength, your power will be at work in each one of us. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.